Well, good morning, everyone. Let me uh, again welcome you to uh, Restoration Church here this morning. If this is your first time with us, we are glad to have you. If you have been with us for any amount of time, we are equally glad to have you. Um, as Abe just mentioned, in a couple of moments, we're going to jump into a pretty healthy uh, discussion about uh, God the Father and the significance of fatherhood here on earth. But before we do that, I want to take just a, a couple of mention, uh, minutes excuse me, to mention a couple of uh, important things going on in the life of our church. And this is a, a little bit of a space between musical worship and, and our time of teaching where we highlight significant matters that are revolving around community, gospel, and the, and the mission of our church. And so two very important things that I want to mention to you today. Uh, the first is, as, as was promised last week, we distributed a reopening survey. Our church is sort of knee-deep in trying to figure out how to get back to uh, cautiously, but nonetheless moving towards uh, gathering together again. And there have been some, there's been some good headway there, but one of the missing pieces in this whole thing is the input that you all uh, provide. So we sent out well over 100 emails this week. We got a ton of responses back. Uh, some of you did not receive emails. Uh, so in case this was you know, sent immediately to a spam folder or a junk box or something, what we're gonna do right now is repost that link here so you can take the survey and we will also sort of resend out this information through our website and Facebook throughout the course of this week. We're hoping to have everybody's replies by the end of this upcoming week. And so uh, simply go to www.restorationpo.com forward slash survey. That'll be linked right here in our Facebook stream. And you can go take that survey. It will take you all of about 15 seconds to take. And it's incredibly valuable for us as we plot our next steps. Anxiously looking forward to the day we gather again. The second thing uh, I want to say to you is just we want to continue as a church family in the way we have in weeks past to pray for the unrest in our world, that the truth and the grace of Jesus would truly permeate and saturate every single uh, matter of conflict that we're seeing in our own nation and, and, and globally. It's been a, a rough series of months here, and we do want to pray more than ever that where there is darkness, we as God's people uh, take the opportunity to light it up with the goodness of who our Father in Heaven is and His Son, Jesus. And then lastly, I would say to you all, Happy Father's Day. If you are a father, Happy Father's Day. If you are about to be a father, Happy Father's Day. If at some point in your life you hope to be a father, this is a premature Happy Father's Day. But what we wanted to do today is very similar to what we did on Mother's Day. And that is, we got some moms together on Mother's Day and we talked about mothering and how significant it is in the scripture. Uh, how important it is in our world and how difficult it can be at times as sort of a hope of an encouragement. And we're going to do the same thing today with this concept of this truth of, of fatherhood. And so uh, in about two seconds, you're going to see some rustling going on to the left and to the right of me. Abel Lam, our worship leader, and Rob Olson, sort of the jack of all trades at our church, he, he handles a myriad of things. Uh, they're going to come and they're going to sit down. And what we're going to do is take uh, just a little bit of time this morning answering some uh, significant questions about uh, fatherhood. And I encourage you to, to comment. So if you have questions about what we're saying or you'd like some follow-up in some areas, especially when we get to the portion of this that talks about uh, how being made in God's image is really a uh, significant indicator of why all human beings have dignity, this is going to really matter when we uh, begin to press into what we're talking about next week, that every human on earth has inherent value. And the sort of value that we're going to talk about today is this uh, beautiful gift that God gives the world called fatherhood. So don't be ashamed or embarrassed to comment, question, email us this week. We'd love to have your feedback on this and certainly your input as we uh, walk through it. And so to begin, I'm going to uh, do what we normally do, and that is just to ask a very simple question. I mentioned them by name, but I wanted to ask each one of our panel members, our illustrious <laughs> panel members, to take a moment to introduce themselves and to uh, just share with you where they are, where their status is in fatherhood. So, uh, Abe, alphabetically, you go first. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I have a two-year-old toddler, and we've got uh, my son. My wife is pregnant with our son, who is due in September. So, I'm a bit of a wet-behind-the-ears father. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
I'm Anthony, and uh, I have uh, three children. My oldest is 14, uh, who's my son, uh, firstborn 14, and then I have two daughters that are right in the 10 to 11 range. And so you might consider me a, I'm a moist father. I'm not fully immersed in the whole thing, but my ears have been wet for, uh, uh, for some time. And I'm Rob, um, I have three boys, um, 15, 12, and 10. Um, so that is, yeah. Okay, and the reason we introduce this information is because uh, it's important to know that just like motherhood, fatherhood is a series of stages, and we, we try our best in every area of our church. This is even true with our, our leadership structures, to have a, a plurality of people from different seasons of life, because what we can learn from each other in those seasons is incredible. And so, essentially, what you have represented here today is fatherhood from toddling to, to teenager. And uh, that's critical, because the stages of fatherhood they, they do change. It's, it's an ever-evolving relationship, and with it come some amazing opportunities and some deep challenges, and those are the things that we wanted to, to, to kick around today. And so the first question I'm going to throw out here, and we'll, we'll just use a very informal panel uh, vibe, meaning we'll just talk and talk to each other, uh, pipe in, certainly leave a comment if you have a question. But the first question I want to ask is pretty straightforward, and it's this. Since we have a good range of children represented in this room regarding their ages, I'm, I'm curious to know if there were any ideals or expectations that you had about being a dad before you actually became a dad. What were your ideals and expectations about fatherhood before you were actually a father? Yeah, I guess I'll begin. I remember people asking that question actually at our, at our church before our firstborn was born. And, you know, I don't know... I don't know if I had a clue of what my ideals and expectations were, except that everything was going to change um, as it related to kind of our life. We had been married already for, I think, six years, seven years maybe at the time. Um, and so, you know, we had established a, you know, our relationship. But I, I, don't, I don't know that I, I had ideals or expectations, except that I knew everything was going to be different um, as, I, as I was thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. So you were flying blind, basically. I mean, I mean you know, you read things, and, and I, mean, I guess I'd read some stuff of what to expect, you know, when when you've got a baby at home, but but in the sense of what really that would look like, you know, I, it was just all like, I don't, we'll have to see when we get there. Because okay. I, mean, I remember the question was, are you ready to be a dad? And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to be a dad. I hope so. Sure. Um, but, so I, I don't know. Okay. Hey. Well, um... I do know that prior to having uh, our daughter, Evelyn, that um, Abby and I were just trying to, you know, garnish as much wisdom as we possibly could. There was a book called um, Husband, Coach, Childbirth that I read that was all about supporting um, Abby, my wife, through labor and then after and, uh, you know, what a toll that can take on um, a mother and just really trying to be as supportive as possible there were of course surprises uh, I don't know if I necessarily had any ideals I, I, um, aside from preparing I sort of flew by the seat of my pants <laughs> aside from hearing what others went through um, I sort of just sort of went into it and tried to be as supportive as possible. But I'm, I'm learning, you know, now that the second child is coming up, um, my expectations are slightly different. Uh, the lack of sleep was, the degree of it was, was a little unexpected. And then also uh, how much it affected my wife, Abby. That was, even though I would really read about being supportive, it was, it was kind of, crazy because the first few months they're just you know attached some you know sometimes literally to to the mother and so um, going into baby number two I feel I feel better prepared that's an interesting thing you mentioned um, many 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 years ago I was talking to somebody that didn't have children and uh, I had younger children then but they were sort of a little frustrated with me that I didn't have as much time to mm. to hang out with them 
And um, I, I commented on something like you just said. For, for that season, like, those children are utterly, like with a capital U, utterly dependent <laughs> upon you to keep them alive. And that is an incredibly wonderful, awesome, and if we're going to be honest, at times exhausting uh, re responsibility. And so there's some truth in parenting there. Um, one, f for me, there, there have been quite a few, but I would think the, the one that has stood out the most to me has, and, and I sort of experimented uh, with this idea and learned, learned how it wasn't exactly true with my second and third child. Uh, when, when my son was born, especially when he was young, I expected him to sort of grow up and almost be like a mini a mini version of me, like he would love everything that I loved, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and would sort of be made like in my image, and and in true ways he is. In many ways, uh, my my son is uh, like me. My daughters carry some of my my attributes, good, and you know none of us are perfect. So some of the places where I have room to grow, you can actually see that replicated in them too. But a silly example of this would be. Um, I, I got made fun of a lot in my teens and 20s because I, I, I like cookies and milk. I have since a very young man, but I eat them. In a, in a, I know, but I eat them in a very weird way. Like I take my cookies and I crush them up and put them in a cup and then pour milk in them and eat them like cereal. Okay, it, it's a total very psychosis. Nice. I don't know what the, <laughs> what, what the Freudian reality is of why I do that, but I've been doing it since like single digits. And uh, my son now, uh, we were joking about it last night. He literally eats his cookies. Um, the same way. And so one of the hard lessons I learned, but it's a, a hard lesson that's a good lesson, is that I think our children do grow up to be like us in a lot of ways, but they're not supposed to grow up to be like us in every way. In fact, in, in some ways, I think if we're going to be humble, we'll recognize every, every human has faults. They, our children, as they grow, will hopefully have the wisdom and the humility to recognize them too. And so uh, so we want to raise them, at least for me, I've, I've learned to try to raise my children where we instill important values in them, particularly when it comes to following Christ. But we also want them to be free to develop into the men and women whom, whom God has created them specifically to be. And so I had to, I had to learn that my children love a lot of the things I love and, and don't love a lot of the things I love. And that's not a, uh, that's not a slight on them, nor should I feel insecure about it. It is the truth of of us all being individually created in the image of uh, of God. That said, I told my son if he ever became a Red Sox fan, I would, I would <laughs> kick him out like uh, straight up. He'd be living on the curb. Okay, so <clears throat> excellent. All right, next question. Since all of us again have children at different life stages, uh, I'm curious to know how the the coronavirus has affected you as a dad. Now, obviously. You know, we're still in a bit of a gray area here, meaning like we're, we're, we're opening, reopening, but there's still lots of lingering effects of, of this massive stay-at-home order we, we had for months. And so I am curious if you all would be willing to share maybe how, uh, how this stay-at-home order, how, how this additional contact with your children and the reality of them sort of being confined to your home or block over the past couple of months, how has that shaped uh, your, your father and how maybe challenges or, uh, or blessings and whoever wants to go first can... Can I have one thing to the last question and then I'll... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So with the ideals and expectations, um, like I said, I don't, I don't know how many... I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I was really thinking about it as far as what to expect, but it's interesting because, you know, often when we talk about, like, ideals for children, we talk about unrealistic things to expect from your children, yes. right? Typically, which a lot of parents do, they, they set these goals for their child to be perfect and things like that. But um, one thing that I was really excited about and kind of expecting is that is to see my child act kind of like me. So like I run around and I'm like super loud around the house and Abby tends to be a little more reserved. And my daughter is like super loud and crazy. <laughs> and, and I was hoping that, I, you know, I would see that sort of like reflection of myself in her. And it was really kind of awesome yeah. because we, you know, we just kind of gave her the freedom to be who she is and she runs around and, and kind of just acts like us. So that was kind of a kind of a cool thing that I was expecting that actually did happen rather than like an unrealistic expectation like, you know, you need to not act like a toddler. You need to behave. You need to do this. You need, you know, constantly like, like that with her. But, um, as far as the coronavirus uh, 
issue affecting at home life. I was working from home before, so it's a little bit uh, a little bit of the same. But there, there, it can be difficult to. Um, oh, I don't want to steal your answer because we <laughs> talked about this before. But you and I have the same kind of thing. Um, we have this. We work from home, and then it's a little bit difficult to separate home life mm -hmm. and work life sometimes. Uh, but. I valued it so much. I love being at home with Abby and Evelyn. It's like the biggest blessing in the world. Um, so as far as the negative thing, um, as far as how it's impacted us negatively, not being able to go out and have fun, that's been kind of difficult. You know, toddlers don't like to stay cooped up in homes. So that has been a little challenging. Yeah, and... I, I would definitely echo that sentiment. I, I would, we were talking earlier before all this went live um, about an article I read a couple of months ago that said the, the coronavirus, especially the stay-at-home order, it's going to fundamentally change the, the, the family construct, the way families function, in large part because uh, people have not had this much family time since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, simply meaning like for the better part of 100 years, uh, the the family has sort of been you know mom and dad are working they're out of the house that 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 time of like you know going medieval where you all work the farm together has just not been a part of American life uh, for a hundred years and so I, I would say in this in a similar way I uh, I do work from home our church intentionally does not have a, a church office we feel like there are better uh, uses of our, of our funds at this stage in the life of our church and so for the better part of uh, half of the week any of the office responsibilities we have, including sermon preparation and that stuff, uh, I do right from here in our home office. And then back in the week, I tend to take meetings and hang out with people and, and do all kinds of those things. But I, I learned that even though I know I'm in sort of a working space here, my children uh, don't always know that. And so uh, one thing that really stood out to me over these past months is is creating clear categories for the difference of what it means to, to be in proximity of your children, meaning I'm working from home and I'm in the house with them, and what it means to actually be physically, spiritually, and emotionally available to your children. And so a good example of this would be like, I might be on a phone call, and, um, and if my doors are closed, most of the time my children know not to come into the office, but this is an imperfect home and sometimes they will just bust in. Uh, it's different to be in, in a house with them uh, much different than actually being in a house with them where you are available to them. And so just because you're 10 feet away from them does not necessarily mean that you're, you're provided the opportunity to, to father them in those moments. And I, I've really had to wrestle with, um, you know, how to accomplish what I need to accomplish. We all, most of us have, have jobs, and if we have children, love them and want to spend time with them. But how we, how we create that balance of not just, you know, sitting at a table with them, but being, being present with them in our full form uh, with them. That's definitely been uh, wonderful to have the time, but also a challenge to make sure that it's, it's, it's fruitful and I'm, the, I'm, I'm not just you know, hanging around without any fatherly input. Yeah, I think for us it, it's been, um, so we have energetic boys, and, um, and so when they are, we're unable to kind of hang out with their friends um, for that, especially that early portion of, of the unknown of the virus. Um, you know, just trying to figure out how do we get them outside, how do we get them moving, um, go for a bike ride, go for whatever, you know, even taking uh, bike rides in the evening. For us, it was just trying to, how do we get this energy <laughs> so that, that they are out and about and just enjoying um, being outside and so that we can enjoy a little bit of, of quiet. But certainly, um, because with that also, uh, my wife worked less um, and so, you know, we were home together, and so kind of navigating, uh, you know, who does what, whose responsibilities is whose, and um, was was certainly different as well. But but certainly with with the energy that we could probably produce to um, uh, to keep cool, whatever this whole community um, wanting to to get them out and so they can enjoy enjoy the outside. So yeah, and how about how hard it's been on moms too? Yes, oh no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. This, we asked this question during our Mother's Day panel, too. You know, we're obviously emphasizing fatherhood today, but, but you're right. This has been a struggle. Um, e 
even think about this, you know, we're, we're assuming a mom and a dad in a home, but there are plenty of single dads and, and single moms out there. And so the application of this sort of has no, uh, no boundaries into, uh, into the, some of the challenges and blessings that it has created. Um, one, one hope I have out of this is, uh, especially speaking to several of our, our folks at our church, is a lot of them have been challenged to, to slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is one, you know, I, I hesitate to say a silver lining because, you know, uh, there's been a lot of tragedy with the illness and certainly all of the, you know, the things we have seen on television over the past uh, weeks with, with uh, some injustices in our country and the, the tension this has created. One, one thing maybe we can try to take away from this is that uh, we we were all forced, or at least most of us were, we were forced to think about the way we were using our time. Mm -hmm. And I think some of us did come to the conclusion that maybe there were some imbalances in the in the work-home life. And so I would encourage you to think about that with this question. If you were forced to dramatically change your life rhythms, um, what does it mean to move forward with a more balanced understanding of the significance of, of working or whatever it is you do if you're a stay-at-home dad and, and actually spending time with your children in a in a, a not not just a quantity type of way, but a, but a quality type of way. Well, I think that gets to even, you know, part of the second question that you guys um, talked about a little bit, and that is, you know, it's it's important to be intentional. At least, you know, I for me, it's been important to be intentional with my time, and, and certainly this this opportunity to um, to to be at home or, or, or whatever. It's it's. How am I being intentional with with this limited time that I have, um, versus just reacting um, with what is in the moment? Can I can I think about um, how I want to spend my time with you know with my kids and, and with the family? And I, so I think that intentionality I think is, is, is an important thing to consider. Absolutely. All right, so this is the, we're at the halfway point, or at least a little past it, and this is sort of the bread and butter question we're going to begin to refine our conversation with, and this will definitely lead into some stuff we're going to talk about next week from Genesis about human, uh, human dignity, how the fact that we are created in the image of God simply means that all people, every single human working this, uh, walking this earth uh, has inherent value because of, of that truth that we believe, and so... I, I want to take that truth and really narrow it right now for fathering. And so there are two questions I'm going to ask. And the first is, uh, do you guys think there are any unhealthy stereotypes about fatherhood in our culture that we need to be mindful of? And then what we're going to do, and it doesn't even have to be in this order, we can just you know kick the ball around here, is how does our understanding of God being father, this is a, a very particular title that he has in the scripture, how how does God's fatherhood and the way we understand him shape, maybe even correct, some of those stereotypes that our uh, our life experiences have, have brought us to see? And I, I very much expect there to be a subjective side of this, meaning like we all come from different backgrounds, so we, we've likely had different maybe stereotypes we've seen, but there is an objective truth in the sense that if we want to understand fatherhood in, in in the best way we can, uh, it would serve us all well to understand the fatherly rhythms of, of our God. So, fatherly stereotypes, maybe, that you've run across. Well, I give my wife, Abby, credit for this answer because um, we've talked about this quite a bit. If a terrible stereotype is the, uh, the father is sort of like the Homer Simpson-esque character who doesn't really know what he's doing at any point in time has no idea, maybe is even like totally disinterested. Um, that, that's a stereotype that I run across a lot. Yeah, uh, years ago I listened to an NPR bit as specifying a particular aspect of this. It was what they called paycheck dads. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, a dad that simply sees his responsibility as putting food on the table. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that, that's a major responsibility, but you're right, it's sort of maybe uh, like like dad handles 10% of the family and mom handles the other 90, the Homer Simpson analogy. Like. <laughs> right, right. right, right. Yeah. Or even that they, they can't necessarily uh, equip themselves even to, yeah. to, to be, um, you know, involved and to be actively, yeah, like you said, actively participating in, in the family. Yeah, so. I, I, would, I would totally agree with that. And I, I would actually say 
the, the biggest way I've experienced that, and may, I don't know if this is the right word, but it's the only word that I have, is that um, be, being a father requires that. There, there's, you know, sort of a, an epoch of fathering in our, in our world where, uh, like, bravado and maybe machoism was sort of like what a dad was. Like, you know, if your kids skin their knee, your job was to just tell them to stop crying and press on. And while I, I'm not opposed to teaching our children to sort of stand up and, and persevere. What, what I've learned is that um, I, I cannot, even though I would say without question, um, my, my wife, when it comes to the rhythms of emotion, uh, she is far more developed and mature than I am. I'm not saying I'm like immature, but I'm saying she's better. There's no question that she is far more intuitive with this. Early on in our marriage, I think I just, I took that, you know, we've been married almost 20 years. I think I took that as like, well, that's just what she does. And uh, what I've learned, especially growing as a father, is um, that is what she does, but she's not only supposed to do that. And this is especially true, I think, um, for those of us that have sons. We are, we are modeling um, a, a, very, a very particular type of fathering, and part of that includes the, the most rewarding and challenging thing that I think I have sensed here is the, is the ability to really communicate uh, with our children, for me to get to the, to the heart of the matter of what they're dealing with and for them to feel like, um, you know, I'm not just a Homer Simpson dad. I actually am a, a, a person whom, uh, who is working very hard to equip myself, not just to, uh, just to be around in proximity, but to really be able to support them physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And I, I do think that uh, if any of us have come from those backgrounds of, of maybe, you know, dad just cracked the whip to push you on, we, we want to make sure that we don't completely throw the baby out with the back the bathwater in the sense that uh, raising our kids to persevere is, is important. But um, I've learned like 10 years ago, if a kid's, one of my children skinned their knee, what I would do is I would immediately tell them why they shouldn't have done what they did so that they don't skin their knee again. But what I've learned now is that before we have that conversation, what I have to do is support them. Meaning mm -hmm. like uh, I, I actually have to be able to address the hurt and then there's a time to, to talk about how we might be able to avoid it in the future. But that, that was a cataclysmic shift mm. that took place in, uh, in, in my life. And I wish I had known it earlier. Yeah. So uh, take that for what it's worth, young fathers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I think that you know, a couple things you guys brought up that kind of sparked some thoughts in my mind. One is um, sometimes you know, how we father or how our parents or how we other people father is based on experiences of even past generations. You know, and, and I was thinking about the, um, the father who may be, you know, thinking about primarily work. And I was watching um, Rudy last night, and there's this place where Rudy's dad, you know, they're sitting at the bus station, and he basically says, you know, you, school isn't for everybody. You just, you got to kind of find a job and just put work, you know, put food on the plate because my dad didn't, you know, in, in the Great Depression. And, and so just thinking even about how, how those patterns are just passed down, even unknowingly. Mm -hmm. and, and then so then that, that, that understanding of why it's my job to just put food on the plate, um, you know, because that, that was something that was passed down from, you know, generations prior. Mm -hmm. um, and so the importance then, I think, of, of noting, of, of being aware of that, but then saying, wait a minute, that's not necessarily a healthy way to to be a dad, and and so no, I need to be connected emotionally to my you know my kids. I, I think of the the importance of showing, um, you know, of of de demonstrative, demonstrating emotion with your kids, hugging your kids, kissing your kids. You know, even as a dad, of of um, of just being there. I there was a I remember the the story you bring up, Anthony. I remember once you know there was we were at a, a church picnic and. Um, and a kid fell on the play. We were, we, you know, I think we were praying for the food or something, and a kid fell on the playground. And um, you know, immediately all the parents just, you know, heads go straight up to look at the playground. And and just in that moment, it was just kind of this, you know, Lord kind of just speaking, saying, you know, Rob, that's how it is with me. When when you fall and you hurt yourself, when you make a mistake, there's not immediately like the lightning zaps from heaven. It's no, I, it's how can I go comfort you in, in, in the midst of that moment? And so I think, I think both of those you know, resonate of that importance of realizing there are some generational, um, you know, if you want to call it baggage, that sometimes we have to break free from, uh, but that importance of just you know, loving our kids and being that place of, of um, 
of comfort when when they fall, when whatever that fall is, whether it's physically scrape their knee or whether it's someday, um, you know, they make a choice that has significant consequences. You know, how am I going to be there in that in that moment? You know, one of the things that stands out about what you're saying is is the importance of us sort of being humble enough to mm-hmm. recognize that no generation of parent uh, parents perfectly. In fact, the more my wife and I have spoken, the more we've realized that there there should be maybe even a bit of a, a progression in this. Like, uh, you know, it's very easy for people to look at what their parents did um, and, and maybe throw them under the bus. Uh, and if you come from a background where you've had a, a, a truly unhealthy uh, example of parenting, uh, I want to exempt you from what I'm about to say. This is a completely different discussion. But sometimes we can almost in prideful ways look at the way we've been raised and say, you know, I'm never going to make those mistakes. But the truth is, is we we all make mistakes. And I think part of parenting and being a child, uh, raising children to parent, is that we have to be willing to admit the places we make mistakes. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be nice to think like there's one set of parents who have perfectly figured this out and they'd probably be quadrillionaires for the book they wrote. (laughs) But the truth is that... um, we, I, I, I learned that at times I actually need to apologize to my children. That happens. Um, and, and there are times, obviously, when they need to apologize to me. But we've tried to set a precedent in our home that um, none of us are perfect. However, you both bring up a- attributes, meaning we're, we're, we're objectively trying to look towards someone, uh, in this case our God, to correct some of these things. So maybe, um, maybe for time's sake, I'm curious, if you would say there's one aspect of of God our Father, like maybe one attribute or one characteristic, what what would you say is one of the ones that you find most impactful on on your father oh, right man, now? You know what mine is already. You gotta know what mine is. Mine is uh it would have to be God's love. Mm-hmm. It, it just absolutely has to be there's so many different adjectives used for God in the Bible and there are very few nouns and love is one of the only nouns it's used for God, that God is love. And it's interesting that uh, both of you are kind of talking about, like, there's got to be comfort. There's got to be emotional support. There's got to be, you know, we're not just here. Like you said, the uh, lightning zapping down from heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really interesting. My, my wife really helped me with this, and we, we have talked a lot about this. But oftentimes when discipline is talked about, like, in the Bible, so, so going to what the Bible says, when we think of discipline, we think of punishment sometimes. And, you know, discipline could sometimes be better understood as like a learning curve, you know, like music is, is a discipline, you know, uh, science is its own discipline. And so, so, so maybe like instruction and things like that is a better way to define the word discipline because, you know, uh, Paul does, Paul does talk about, you know, discipline in the Lord and training in righteousness. You know, that's what Abraham was instructed to do. And when we look at, at how God deals with his children, um, it, it's, 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 in a, it's in a gentle training sort of way, especially children, like, yes. like children in general, you know, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He says, you know, don't keep them from coming to me. Uh, Paul says, don't provoke your children. You know what I mean? So as far as dealing with little children, I'm not necessarily talking about the spiritual sure, sense sure. you know, we're God's children sort of thing, but just how to deal with a two-year-old or a three-year-old, you know, God deals with them extremely gently. And then Jesus uh, rebukes his own disciples who are following him. For turning the kids away. For turning the kids away. <laughs> yeah, and these yeah. kids are naturally, yep, yep. Uh, you know, they're naturally drawn to Jesus while the adults are the stiff-necked ones, you know what I mean? And so it's really interesting. If you look throughout the Bible, I just think, okay, well, how would God want me to deal with my children? I, I think in a loving way. And then if you talk about, you know, well, how do you define love? Well, patient, kind, sure. self-controlled. You know, not self-serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's even amazing is, you know, I was talking to you a little bit about this before, but uh, the James says that, you know, true religion is this, to care for the widow and the orphan. Mm-hmm. And we have a big, you know, emphasis on orphan uh, ministry here at Restoration. Paul tells us to be an imitator of God. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the reason why we care for, for orphans is because we believe that God cares for orphans. Yes. He cares for children. He cares for children that are, you know, born to Christian parents. He cares for children that are not born to Christian parents because that is, um, the, uh, to me, the highest fatherly quality that you can have. Uh, you know, really good fathers, I've found people who are going to be really good fathers, even before they have kids, you see them with this general, uh, like, this sort of like, like they care about kids, you know what I mean? Um, and then they become fathers, and then of course they care about their own kids. But, but if you meet a father who's like, you know, I don't really care or love any kids, I kind of hate them, you know what I mean? Well, when that person becomes a father, it, it's probably going to be a train wreck. So we've got, you know, God who already loves children. And, and he deals with them in a very loving way. And so that, to me, is the greatest example of how to love my own child. That's pretty insightful. And I, I would say this is a hard question for me to answer because there are so many wonderful things about God. But it's, all, there's also an, it's also easy. And what I would say for me is the, uh, it's the availability of God. So, like, when you're talking about love, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the place where Jesus has promised that he will never leave or forsake us. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like there are no office hours on the, on the door to God's office. And I can, I can tell you that um, even just because of my upbringing, that, that makes me feel like our God is, is loyal, meaning like he, not that he's subservient to us, please don't hear me saying that, but what I'm saying is, is that he cares enough for us um, to even be present with us during the difficult seasons of life, to never leave us. No matter. Yes, absolutely. His fidelity to us is 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 boundless, and I I do find that that um, that is a thought that pops up in the back of my head a lot. And I'm, I'm not saying I do this perfectly, but sometimes, like after a long day, you, especially if you have uh, younger children, your your kids need something, or there's there's a there's a, a transaction needed from you, whether it's an emotional one or something that you feel like you cannot you cannot make. In other words, there are times where I sort of would like to be unavailable. And there's a need for us to have personal boundaries and, and, and a personal health. Don't hear me saying that uh, we should martyr ourselves on the altar of fatherhood. But I do often think sometimes, like, what would it be like if, if the condition that I felt like God always responded to me was, was like, not, not now, um, tomorrow. I don't have time for it today. And so uh, that's very, very influential in, in my life, is just knowing that not only is God all of these incredible things, not only is he a loving God, he's a loving God because he is love. Like part of what makes God God is that he loves. Um, and that, that love is never not uh, with us. It's amazing. And that's true for every, at least in the fancy world, we call these attributes. All the, all the things, all the characteristics that, that make God God, they are fully available to us at all times, every moment, every second of the day. Uh, they're never not available to us. And that to me is a high bar that's mind-blowing in my understanding of myself as a child of God and certainly shaping a rhythm of what it means to be, uh, to be a parent. That's a good point. I'll just say amen, I agree. Nothing to add <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Took all the words out of his mouth. Yes. <laughs> all right. So uh, for time's sake, we're going to skip one question here and here's how we'll start to wrap up because I want to make sure we're faithful to our time frames. Um, how this is a long question and it'll be below me, but how can uh, we as Christians uh, walk a balanced line between celebrating the amazing gift of fatherhood that God has given the world while simultaneously being aware of those who might have had less than ideal upbringings with their dad? Uh, meaning maybe you grew up in a home where fatherhood was absent or it, uh, it was just straight up an unhealthy, uh, an unhealthy environment. Or maybe in a more benevolent way, this is the first year where you are without your father. Or maybe this is the third or the fourth year where Father's Day uh, sort of reminds you of the fact that you've, you've had an unhealthy experience with a dad. Or maybe you had a really healthy experience with a dad who is, who is no, no longer here. There's a range of emotions that can be covered here. But I guess I simply want to... I want to wrap up with how we can support each other in and and those that have um, th and those that are fathering. How can we actually be available to people and think not just about our own our own fatherhood, but how we can care for and minister to those who 
who have had unhealthy experiences with, uh, with fatherhood. As I was thinking about this, my thought just went even back to kind of a little bit what we talked about last week, and, and really there's there's a level of, of suffering that somebody might ex- be experiencing as they reflect back on, on their experience growing up. Um, and so, you know, that the idea of compassion and just, you know, what does it mean to, to just show compassion, um, you know, to listen to those, those types of, of things we talked a little bit about last week. Um, recognizing that there is some element of of grief and suffering that a person might be experiencing as they look at the difference between what they experienced and what others, maybe you or others, have experienced, um, and and so just even wondering, you know, how do they reconcile that? And so just I think being again compassionate, listening those those types of things. I would say two things and. I kind of find it hilarious as we're talking about father and my daughter's like literally got her nose pressed to our office door here. You can't see it, but this is a perfect example of like five years ago, I would have been mad about that. But now I just think she's not, and that's what she's supposed to do. It's quite humorous to me. Uh, if you're wondering why Abe's gaze, Abe's gaze went to space, because my daughter was like pressed up on the office doors. But um, I think I would say two things. So uh, for those of you uh, who, had a, who had a good experience with fatherhood growing up, I think the best way to... Uh, and you've lost your father, you know, uh, is, is one to, to honor their legacy. So if you remember most about your dad, that he was loving or gentle, the best way you can honor your father, the memory of your father, is to perpetuate those, those healthy qualities. That's one of the ways that, that the impact of somebody who's no longer physically with us can still permeate uh, the earth. And that's one of the healthy parts of parenting is that we generationally can also pass down things that are that are good things to our kids. Um, for those that have had unhealthy, uh, absent fatherhood, or, or maybe just abusive relationships, um, the answer to this is rather straightforward, uh, but I would say it's straightforward in, in its answer, but not necessarily in the chronology. Uh, meaning, the, the best way to answer this question is that we, we, want to, we want to help a person understand that there is a father in heaven who who can be our father, even if we've had a terrible ex- a relationship with a father on earth. So what I would say is that's, that's important to know, but I think it's very important that as, as we know that objective truth in our, our minds and hearts, that we give people the space to process that reality. I think it could be very easy for, for us to just give a, a cognitive answer of like, well, I'm sorry you had a bad experience with your dad, but God's a good God. That is fundamentally true, right? But I don't know that, that the human heart recovers from that in, in the six seconds it, it took me to actually utter that. And so I do think this is where uh, compassion and patience and truth at the appropriate times really matters. We want to be able to direct a hurting human heart to the greatest father that has ever existed, our God. But I also think we need to be incredibly mature uh, in, in, in our chronology, in the time frames in which we, uh, we process this with people. And what I would say, one word just popped into my head, uh, long-suffering. I think if we're going to help folks who have struggled uh, under unhealthy paradigms of fatherhood, then we, in the same way God is available to us, we, we need to be available to them. We shouldn't just expect that three lunches and a phone call and everything's going to be better. Maybe that is the way it works for some people. But in my experience, that is not the way it works. There really is a, a lifelong of healing. Uh, and, and it might even be that that person is healed, but they still bear scars. So our, our, our patience is critical. Honor your parents in the ways that, that they did wonderful things. And, and recognize that even in an unhealthy parental relationship, um, God can redeem that. I'm not at all saying that God likes that or affirms that, but there can be something, uh, like Romans says, there can be something good that God brings out of very terrible situations if we uh, not only learn to look to him, but we are the types of people who model healthily how we can look to God and how he is patient and long-suffering uh, with us. So. Um, well, so to Christians, um we know, like you just mentioned, that, you know, the Bible says, honor your mother and father. But, you know, parents can act very dishonorably yes. at times and be extremely dishonorable. And so, you know, in my mind, if God is saying this is dishonorable, 
I don't think there's anything wrong with you agree. You, you know, you don't have to, I don't think anybody should think of that verse, honor your mother and father and think, even when they're being dishonorable, um, I'm supposed to just look at them like they're honorable, you know, because they're dishonoring themselves. God is saying that, you know, they're acting in dishonorable ways. And some of us do have parents that act that way. Now, we can, you know, try to protect their dignity as much as we, we possibly can. We can also, um, you know, we have a unique place of being able to minister to them. We can mention that uh, God is uh, faithful and forgiving and he's patient, more patient than we are, and more kind than we are. Um, but sometimes fathers really mess up. And I don't just mean by mistake. I mean intentionally mess up their relationship with their kids. And to be blunt, there are consequences for that. There are consequences that God has already laid out uh, beforehand that as a child, if I'm thinking, well, you know, my dad has really hurt me. Well, you know, God agrees with you. That's wrong. That's bad. And, um, and, he's, and he's completely got your back behind that. In fact, he actually says, listen, you know, don't, try, don't, don't get super angry and go after that yourself because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That sounds really sort of epic and terrible, but, but you know, you've, you've got a Heavenly Father who really does have your back in that situation. Um, to non-Christians, this, this is probably like an opportunity to, to invite them into... Um, this whole concept of that we call God our Father. And we call Him our Father because He is caring, He is loving, He will never leave or forsake you. Okay, all these things that we think about when we think about, okay, what makes a good father? We, everything that we've just named this morning, that's who God is first and foremost. So if you've heard on the news something about Westboro Baptist Church saying that God is something totally different, that's wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, the end of Romans 10 says, all day long, God uh, outstretches his arms to an obstinate people. So he's not talking about Christians there. So, you know, God is there and he cares and he, he wants to be that caring father uh, role figure in your life. And so that would I, that's what I would say. Be sensitive to um, people, you know, who have fathers who aren't ideal, whether they're Christian or not. As far as celebrating um, fathers who, who are good, yeah, we should totally do that. We should do that a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I, I see what you're saying with the balance. You know, if you're in the same room with somebody who had a terrible experience, somebody with a great experience, it's like, at the end of the day, let's celebrate the, the fatherhood. Let's uh, mourn with those who mourn. And then let's point to our Heavenly Father, who is yeah. even better than the greatest father on earth. You know what I mean? And um, because even even the greatest father on earth makes mistakes and probably could have done it a little better. No doubt. No doubt. So listen, uh, uh, this is how we'll end. Um, you know, some some churches have two worship services, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And I'm telling you that we wouldn't even need two worship services. I'm pretty confident with the three of us we could go for another six hours here <laughs> on this because, they, I mean, I listed seven questions this morning that tried to get at the heart of some very important things. And I, and I hope that they have resonated with you, encouraged you, and challenged you. And the, the whole idea behind these types of panel discussions is to, is to let you know, in the same way that we are letting each other know, is that one of the greatest things you can do if you have questions about fatherhood or just about, about a difficult time in your life, no matter who you are, is that the, the support of the, the body of Christ, in this case, two of my brothers in Jesus, we have a whole slew of people at our church that are just wonderful, uh, amazing, supportive people. There's no relational venture in life that God wants us to go alone. And so one of the best ways that we can process fatherhood or, or motherhood or the way we deal with our siblings or our children, whatever it is, is, is to be around other people who are going through the same thing uh, we are. Uh, we have a heavenly father to look to, but we also have each other to rely upon. And so that's, the, that's what I really want you to know today is... Uh, Leave, it, leave this time encouraged, knowing that you are not alone, first and foremost, because God is for you. And secondly, uh, this is where I want to really encourage you to think about what it means to be a part of a church family. You know, uh, a lot of the survey results we got back 
predominantly said that most people, cautiously albeit, uh, but most people are, are wanting to get together again with some form of safety in, in order, uh, which I totally affirm. And what that shows is that for a great many of us, we've recognized the, the importance, the need of the body of Christ. And this should not be new to us because Jesus literally spilled his blood on the cross to, to build the foundation of it. We, he knew we needed this in the same way the nation of Israel had each other, the people of God have each other. And so I want to just leave you with a couple of closing uh, comments. If you have questions about what it means to know the Father or objections of things you've heard uh, regarding God, or you have questions about Jesus or life or faith or, or anything, um, our church has always been what I like to call an incredibly safe room to bring up what you might even think is the most heinous of subjects. We, we actually love uh, dialoguing about uh, all things God, no matter where they're coming from. And so we want to challenge you to really think about uh, what it means to know the Father, our Father in heaven, God. And so if you have questions about a, a relationship, uh, a faith relationship with God through Christ, please don't disconnect here in two minutes and then go on your, uh, your way. Make sure you contact the office, email, text us. Uh, there's a myriad of ways you can communicate with us. Don't go it alone. Let us be there uh, to be for you and with you um, during your time of need, whatever it is. Uh, I also want to encourage you to think about taking next steps for connection. So most of our community groups are now meeting again, albeit um, in backyards with social distancing. Some are in homes. There's a lot of things going on right now. So if you are looking to take a next relational step as we sort out what Sundays are going to look like, know that there is one in front of you right now. You don't have to wait to Sunday to, uh, to, to, to be with somebody who loves Jesus. Uh, you can actually consider plugging into a community group. And so if you have questions about the groups, where they meet, where they're, uh, where, what times they meet. Again, let us know that. You can go to the community group page on our website, and we'll get you some information about how to get plugged in there. Don't forget to take the survey. I deeply want to encourage you. Find that link and give us your input. That really matters a lot and where we're going. And uh, lastly, I want to thank you all for your uh, continued uh, fidelity, faithfulness in supporting the mission uh, and ministry of restoration uh, with your, your tithes and your offerings. And so I want to encourage you uh, to continue to support our work. You can give online. The details will be uh, posted here on our website. Uh, you can also mail those uh, offerings into the church office. And remember that your generosity, uh, I, I sound like a broken record when I say this, but it's because it's a broken record that needs to be repeated. It is imperative that we show generosity to the church. We, we couldn't do the things we do without the communal sacrifice we make with our finances for each other and the kingdom. But I want you to be mindful that the church is not the boundary line for generosity. It is very likely that you are living in a world where there is need around you. So wherever you go, let the grace and the goodness and the generous spirit of Jesus uh, precede you. That's one of the greatest ways we can honor our Father in heaven is recognizing that uh, his sacrificial generosity was, he went to the point of giving his life for us. And in the ways that we can, we should be the types of folks that, that uh, perpetuate that kind of generosity in our world. And so please get in touch with us if you have questions about anything. Um, we are looking forward, not just to community groups, it's been wonderful seeing some of our people face to face again, uh, but it's, uh, we're really looking forward to uh, safely resuming Sunday. So take that survey, please. And now, Unless there's anything else to say, um, what I would like to do is just close us in the traditional way we always close, and that is our benediction. So thank God this week. Let's first and foremost be thankful for the fact that we have a Father in Heaven whom is all of what we discussed and so much more of what we did not have time to discuss. Um, we truly serve an incredibly amazing uh, Father in Heaven who loves us deeply, and I pray that that tone, that that understanding and perspective of God would encourage you no matter where you are as a father and certainly as a, as a human being. Even if you're not a father, whomever you are, we want you to know that our Father in Heaven really does care for you, loves you. And I pray that that would be the truth that defines your heart as you go. So as you go this week, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in Heaven, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. And happy Father's Day.